we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we stab at the monsters of schlock. Take that, sex. Take that, violence. Mm, We have it in. We have it in. (laughs) For all that sex and violence, we're we're mad as hell. You're going down. Not going to take it anymore. My name is Orlando. I'm joined by my roommate, guest, and co-host, Ned. What's up, Ned? Oh, you know, just, uh... Just, just chillin', laxin', and everything in between. Chillin' out, maxin', relaxin', old cool. Yeah, chillaxin'. <laughs> just chillaxin'. Playing some b-ball outside and, of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> you know that that's about as apt a description. Um, pretty, pretty broad, general, universal feel. Doesn't apply I to think. anyone. Doesn't. Yeah, you know, doesn't apply to West anyone. West Philadelphia, in born and raised. Yeah, no. Like I mean, t- totally, totally me in a nutshell. <laughs> very, uh, yeah, very, very on point. I'm disappointed that we're not watching Fresh Prince now. We're instead watching a movie. No, yeah. I'm not disappointed actually because we're watching a great movie tonight. <laughs> oh, okay? movie, movies suck. <laughs> We, Why do we even have we, this we, show? We, yeah, this show. Yeah, I, this show is so dumb. Why are we doing this? This makes no sense. It makes me just want to scream. It does. You. Yeah. Funny. You should mention that. I know. Coincidentally, we're watching Scream. Mm-hmm. Scream is a 1996 American slasher film, directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. It stars David Arquette, Nev Campbell. Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, and Drew Barrymore. Okay. Uh, This movie, uh, it follows the character of Sidney Prescott, who is played by Nev Campbell. She is a high school student in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California, who becomes the target of a mysterious killer in a Halloween costume known as Ghostface. Hmm. Have you ever seen this movie before? I have not seen this movie. Um, so, like, we've we've covered in some detail in previous episodes of the podcast, for, for those who maybe are just joining us this week, uh, of the fact that I'm not totally up on my horror, that, mm-hmm. like, I certainly do appreciate a good horror film, right. but, like, most of the horror films that we're bringing on this show, I've definitely not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's, it's said, been a nice primer for you too. I feel like we've done like a yeah, nice mix of horror. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like I'm much more up on my horror history mm-hmm. than I have been. Um, so, so all this is to say though that one of my favorite movies uh, is Cabin in the Woods, Great. which which I love. It's a lot like, of fun. Yeah, and and the thing is, I know that that movie is very meta about, like, the genre Mm -hmm. of horror, and so whenever we're discussing, like, the structure of horror as a genre, most of what I'm pulling from is basically just having watched Cabin in the Woods so Mm -hmm. many times, Um, and and obviously that movie's very meta, and, and so from what I understand, Scream is is kind of an early entry in terms of like horror that is like a little more self-aware and and a little more a little more comments on the genre as right. opposed to just being a sort of a played straight horror film. So, so I'm so I'm really I'm really excited to right. see it and 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 to hear what you have to say about cuz obviously you are 
much more of a horror connoisseur. I do enjoy horror. I mean, I enjoy movies in general, but uh, yeah, I really like horror. And this movie is uh, is definitely a, a special entry, especially I think like in the genre of slasher films. Now, Wes Craven, he he's kind of like one of the the godfathers of slasher horror. Like he came, he became big in the '80s with his Nightmare the Elm Street series. He directed and wrote the first movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, which ha- has the famous uh, dream serial killer Freddy Krueger, you know, with the knife yeah. fingers and all that. He and and I've and I've heard Wes Craven a lot when talking about horror. Like I know Wes Craven's like one of the big horror right. directors, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't realize that Nightmare on Elm Street was his. Yeah, so, yeah, he directed cool. that one. Those are like the I mean the three big. Uh, slasher genres of the 80s are Halloween, Friday the 13th, and the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah. Um, so he, I mean, he he helped to codify a lot of these tropes, you know. And we just recently watched Halloween. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty much like the Citizen Kane of slasher films. That's, that's a fair point. Right. Make, I would say. Yeah. Um, so... What's interesting about Wes Craven is obviously like the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street series never quite lived up to the acclaim or success of the very first one. And he, you know, like any good artist became tired of just like repeating the same old tricks. So what ended up doing was he became really interested in this concept of meta, um, a a meta take or meta analysis of his own genre work, like him in particular as an artist. It was oh, okay. more, it was very self-reflexive, you know? That's interesting. I, I didn't I didn't realize that that he was doing more commentary on his take on horror than than horror in a broad. Now sense. the interesting thing is like in 1994, a couple years before he made Scream, he actually made uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 7, which was known as Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And it, be, it was different from the other six Nightmare on Elm Street movies in that this movie, Nightmare on Elm Street 7, New Nightmare, is actually about the actors and filmmakers who make the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So the movie is about the actresses and the actors and Wes Craven and the actor who plays Freddy Krueger, uh, Robert e- England. And so the, the movie is about how the Nightmare of Freddy jumps from the fictional world of the movie into the real world inhabited by the actors. Oh my god, that sounds so cool. It's it's a lot of fun and it's like, other than the first Nightmare on Elm Street, it's in my book my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Damn. So that was like in very, you know, pointing the camera towards himself kind of thing and then he kept going along that route and the next movie was, well, I'm not gonna like be self-reflexive as much on me as much as the genre as a whole. Okay. And that's where the idea came for, for Scream. Now, Kevin Williamson had written the script for Scream and, um, and uh, Wes Craven came, came upon it and he was like, this is the perfect thing for vehicle for what I wanna do. And so they kind of like developed it together and, uh, and came up with it. The film um, was very well known when it came out. It combines black comedy and a whodunit mystery with the violence of the slasher genre to satirize the cliches of the horror movie genre, which is pro- popularized by Halloween, Friday the 13th, and, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Scream was considered unique at the time for, of its release for featuring characters who were aware of real-world horror films, because a lot of times in horror movies, characters 
act like they don't know that horror exists, like horror as a genre. Yeah. But in this movie, it made a point to be like, yeah, actually, these characters are very aware <laughs> that horror as a genre exists. And, and yet are still trapped in a horror <laughs> film of their own. And they're, they're, they're trapped in it. <laughs> but then they openly discuss like the cliches of the genre and their attempts to subvert it as they're living through <laughs> the, the the horror story themselves. Oh my god! Um, yeah, so it's gonna it's a lot of fun in that way, and I would say that so if Halloween is the Citizen Kane of slasher films, Scream is the Unforgiven of slasher films. Okay, it kind of like took the genre and deconstructed it, and basically was like, this is all that we can say about this genre. What else can be said? Nice. And um, after that, like, you know, we still have slasher films, but it seems like I feel like slasher films after Scream are all pretty self-aware. Yeah. Whereas before Scream, they were all uh, played like just like really realistically, I guess. Yeah. You know, like viscerally and stuff, but they're not hip. And after Scream, like Scream was the first one was like, actually, this can be really hip. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So, I'm excited to dive in and watch this, and I know that we just literally watched Halloween recently, so it'll be interesting to get your take on everything that I just mentioned, and also kind of compare uh, how far the genre has come from Halloween. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm actually really glad that we just watched Halloween, um, and, and that I'm going to have that very fresh in my mm -hmm. mind going into this, so I think this is a really great doubleheader. Awesome. Are you ready to watch Scream? I guess so. All right, guys, so if you guys at home want to play along, Scream is available to stream in a few places. It's available on Fubo and CBS All Access, also Hoopla and DirecTV. You have to have subscriptions for all of those services to watch it on there. However, if you don't have a subscription to any of them, you can rent it. It's on Amazon. I think the HD version is $3.99. It's a Fandango. It's a classic. And Netflix is usually pretty good about every, you know, fall. I feel like every fall, all the screen movies are on Netflix. I don't know how true that's going to be now that we have, like, we suddenly had an explosion of other streaming services, like, within the last, like, year or so. But... If you're lucky, you're going to at least catch like one of the screams on there. And they're all pretty fun, except for part three. But, you know, <laughs> the other three, one, two, and four are, are pretty, pretty fun movies. Nice. So we're going to watch Scream and then we'll be right back after the break. We'll play some trivia and discuss the movie at length. We'll see you all on the other side. Mm -hmm. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship, no emotion, just sex. And we are back! <laughs> we just watched Scream! <laughs> First reactions. That was excellent. That yeah. was so good. Um, I really, really, really liked this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I am really glad that we watched Halloween before we watched it. Yeah, um, it references it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it references like all of those movies, but I feel like Halloween is the one that it comes back to the most. Yeah. Well, and I mean, for starters, like, again, for those who maybe are just joining us on the podcast this week, um, I'm a huge Joss Whedon nerd, mm -hmm. and and as an extension of that, I love anything that goes fucking meta. Mm -hmm. And so I really, really liked how this movie explored the horror genre. Yeah. Um. I 
I really liked the mix of like comedy and horror in this because like there are many ways in which the movie does kind of tilt in the direction of a teen comedy, especially with like the banter of the teen characters, but it never goes like, like with the exception of like a few individual moments, which Mm -hmm. I think definitely play up the comedy for the most part, it all is very much kind of in service of the commentary of Mm -hmm. the slasher genre that this movie is going for. Um, but I think that it's, it's, a really, really well-realized, like, project on the whole, just in terms of, like, that all of the characters are just, like, really well-written and really well-fleshed out. They are, yes. Um, And for a late 90s movie, maybe it's not surprising, but for this type of movie, it's kind of surprising that the characters are given as much attention as they Yeah, yeah, I think, think, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of great sharpness to how the movie is written and, like, and and the way it plays with archetypes, Mm -hmm. especially. Like, I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of expectations that are getting subverted in this movie. Yeah. Um, and obviously the movie is, I, I mean, it's directed by Wes Craven. So this kind of goes without saying, but like it really is a love letter to the horror right. genre and to horror film. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I really love it. Like like the the intro of the movie, or the, the first scene with uh, Drew Barrymore, it's like it's it's. It's kind of such a perfect way to start the movie because yeah, it's it it's like a perfect little microcosm of the film as a whole mm-hmm. in terms of the fact that it it, it kind of establishes this great this great sort of like mission statement about mm-hmm. like this is this is, this about is what we're watching horror, yeah this yep. is about horror film yeah and 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 it and it really does such a good job of like both plainly commenting on horror while at the same time ratcheting up the tension mm-hmm. in such a great way. I think actually like one of the more one of the most brilliant things about that opening sequence is the popcorn popping mm-hmm. as it's as the tension is building. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a perfect like just sort of like cinematic device for like showing how the tension is building right. and and as more smoke fills the room how much more obscured the victim is in terms of just like not being able to see what the hell is going on right. and, and all that stuff. So it just like yeah, it the whole movie I think yeah is just so good. And there's so nothing amazing. in that opening. The opening sequence uh, is 12 minutes long. Um yeah. and uh, I agree. It's one of my favorite things about the movie. It's probably actually my favorite thing in the movie. If I'm being honest, I um, yeah, I, I I think that um. Not that, not that the movie goes down in quality because the movie is pretty good quality the whole time, but there's just something really special about and tight about that opening. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, and I think like I like I almost want to call this movie a perfect horror film for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily sure I can commit to that statement because I think that there. are are a few instances where the film does sacrifice a little bit of the horror in mm-hmm. favor of the comedy. Um, but I do think that the se- that the opening, the prologue sequence is like, is the best horror sequence mm-hmm. of the film. And, 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 and it's really fucking What well I was going to say and about it was that yeah. there's, there's nothing, it, it, what's great about it for me is like, there's nothing original about it because like it borrows really heavily from um, when, when a stranger calls that movie that the whole premise is that a killer's on the phone with with the young girl in yeah. the house and she's alone in the house and like literally like that's the entire concept what's great about it is like you pointed out there's like the initial the, 
the the commentary from the get go. You know, we get like the meta shit, and then you know you're enjoying that and you're enjoying the meta ness of the whole situation. You kind of recognize it as a, a film buff and a horror and you know horror movie buffs that were watching it. They were like, oh, okay, I get that this is like an homage to X type of horror films. But then when when the scene and and the tension, as you were saying with the popcorn and all that, as the tension ratchets up, you find yourself actually being invested in the character who just moments before, you know, were breaking all sorts of like fourth walls and all of a sudden you're in the story itself. Yeah. And I think that that's what the great thing about the movie is that it can it, it attacks you on an intellectual level, but still has that visceral you know, shock value to it. Yeah. And really to me, if I'm, if I'm being honest, cause there is a lot of great suspense in that opening sequence and you're right. I think that it is the, 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 the most horror, you know, uh, successful horror part of the whole movie. Yeah. The most chilling part for me has always been that Casey unmasks the killer and we don't see the killer's face. We don't find out who the killer killers are until later on. But Casey knows. Yeah. And Casey's sort of like, she's established as the audience surrogate in that opening scene. Yeah. And then we die. The audience dies. The audience <laughs> surrogate dies. But we know who killed us. Yeah. That's absolutely. part of like the brilliance of it for me. And one of the, I mean, it's just Wes Craven props to you. you that yeah. was a fantastic crafted scene right definitely. there. Definitely. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this more too, but also I would definitely say that a huge part of this movie's success definitely lies in Nev Campbell's performance. This is our third Nev Campbell movie. Yeah. I know. She's kind of like, we, we talked already about how she's like the unofficial, like, GSV girl or whatever we want to call yeah, her. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think we we definitely stand Nev Campbell to a to a very strong degree on this podcast. The first movie that we saw was The Craft, and yeah. uh, that that was released the same year, 1996. And her and Skeet Ulrich were, were both in that movie, playing completely different kind of roles. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, true. she's she's fucking great in this. I love Sydney. Her Sydney Prescott is 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 awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's such a, yeah, such a great performance and 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 also like i think definitely kind of i think this movie does such a good job of like taking taking the the horror heroine to mm-hmm. to like yeah to it, it's kind of a pinnacle i would say almost yeah. of like the horror heroine just in terms of just like how how you know complex her character is right and she how, actually and has a backstory yeah <laughs> she, yeah she has a very rich backstory um how competent and, she is and and, and what and how strong she is mm-hmm. too and and um yeah, and 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 again, like the the fact that when she gets the first call, the the fact that she gets you know when she gets the first call, she talks about how she hates horror movies and mm-hmm. why she hates horror right. movies, um, and 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 that sort of calling out of like you know the mm-hmm. the the lack of ability to make smart decisions in yeah. those situations, and she so, makes she makes fun of heroines for running out the front door, and that's essentially what she ends up doing. <laughs> exactly. Well, and <laughs> and and so I think like, but but by the same token, it's like it's kind of great that like as you're watching her go through the movie, it's like okay, she actually has some awareness that like she's. 
she she has some awareness to her and we can we can trust in her ability to right. to survive and to make it through as as we're following her through the journey so um, yeah like, yeah, I, like really I said great. at the top of the episode yeah this is one of those movies like all the characters are aware of horror movies and the tropes and they like end up living like their own version of it which is uh, really interesting we'll talk more about that here in a second yeah yeah uh, but before we get too deep into the discussion let's play some scream trivia okay oh and and believe me I got chills when uh, Drew Barrymore had to go through her own little film trivia. <laughs> with a, complete with a bonus, too. Complete with a bonus. So, um, you know, whether I get these right or not, please don't disembowel me. I know. I should try to, I should try to imitate Roger Jackson's voice. <laughs> nice. Listen to me, you bitch. <laughs> um, okay, so... This quiz, as always, is going to be five questions plus a bonus. The questions are going to go in order from least difficult to most difficult. And the grand prize is bragging rights. Here comes question number one. Mm -hmm. How long has it been since the death of Maureen Prescott, that's Sydney's mom? It has been one year. One year! In fact... Uh, Almost to the day. Not right. quite, but by the by the end of the film, one year mm -hmm. to the day. Yeah, I, I think the character says that at midnight, it's going to be exactly a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so like the, the death of Maureen, of Maureen Prescott is sort of like the ghost that hangs over the entire Scream series. And it's almost like, you know, that was the inciting incident that that all the other Scream movies kind of like flow from and the consequences of that death or Maureen Prescott's actions in life um, leading to her death are the dominoes that get like the ball, like the, all the, all these other, like it's like a kind of like a butterfly effect kind mm. of thing. It's yeah. really interesting. I feel like, yeah, the backstory, Sydney's backstory, which it does we don't get hammered over the head with it, but we get just enough clues and richness in her life that um, it just leaves like an ample door for exploration i feel like this movie would have been fine if it had just ended but the fact that it kept going in a successful way like that credit to the writer i think yeah definitely one well, and, and i i was really interested that like i i was really interested in in like kind of how the story about the circumstance of maureen's death were getting more and more fleshed out right. um how it you know it kind of over the course of the film it became clear that that she was in a relationship with uh, with the person who was accused of killing her mm -hmm. and um, Cotton, yeah, with Cotton and um, and 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 it was interesting how there there was still more and more left unsaid um, from uh, Sydney's point of view mm -hmm. about her kind of coming to terms with the fact that you know maybe her mother wasn't this like idealized version that she right. had preconceived and all She's that coming to, to terms and, with and, that and yeah coming to terms with that and and yeah and i i really liked that and and i liked that for within the confines of this movie that there you know there there is there is a lot to that that's kind of implied off camera but like i i think that this movie does actually like a really good job of just like really humanizing every single character Pretty much, and, yeah. and the fact that like you know like like every single character is like a a very specific cinematic archetype mm -hmm. but they all get 
complicated in different ways as the various revelations mm-hmm. and just the more you see of everybody as the film develops. Uh, and the so. one thing holding them all together is the, the death of Maureen Prescott. Like, yeah. you know, you kind Definitely. of, you, it's not just her mom, but it also like affected all the relationships in, in the movie that we yeah. see. Uh, all right. So here comes question number two. You talked about the, how much you loved the popcorn at the beginning of the movie. And it was interesting, actually, that's another way that I think that Halloween and this movie, you know, they have like little kindred <laughs> spirit because there's like a popcorn making scene in Halloween as well. Yeah. Um, so my question about the popcorn in this movie is, what brand of popcorn does oh, Casey make? Oh, oh, I missed it. I, I, I actually, I have no idea. Oh. Also, cause like, I've never seen I've never seen that kind of like pop, like stovetop popcorn tin. It's thing like before. it's the only stovetop popcorn brand that they sell in the in the grocery. Like you have the microwave popcorn and you have the the kernels and then you have this popcorn in the, in the grocery I, store. I have I have never seen that before. Wow. It is completely foreign to me. Um, so I have no idea. Jiffy Pop. Jiffy Pop. Jiffy Pop. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I mean, we have uh, developed a bit of a love for uh, doing homemade popcorn. It's the best. Um, and so, so I was really fascinated mm-hmm. by that. Like, oh, this like tin of stovetop. So yeah. it's like it's it's kind of halfway there between right. the microwave option. I would say and- that yeah, I would say that that Jiffy Pop is definitely better than microwave popcorn, but it's still not as good as like making it yourself. I would yeah, say where you can you know control the salt and the butter mm-hmm. levels. Um, so at around. 12 minutes, the beginning of the movie, you know, it's, uh, we have Casey's story with Drew Barrymore, and then we have, um, her parents coming home to find that something's wrong. Her father tells her mother to go to the McKenzie's, and this is actually another homage to Halloween because it's the exact same thing that Laurie, uh, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, tells Lindsay and Tommy, her children charges uh, she tells him to go to the McKenzie's whenever uh, Michael Myers is, atta- is attacking her. Um, there's, there's a ton of, of references to Halloween in this movie. Yeah, I, I actually really, really like that this film picks Halloween specifically mm-hmm. as kind of a, a, almost a, a counter, uh, as it's like kind of, you know, partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and They really do bookend like, like the slasher genre. I yeah, think. yeah, it really, yeah, it's really kind of cool how this movie does that. That and and how how it how it specifically references Halloween because I think like you know Halloween is kind of like the perfect stripped down example mm-hmm. of a slasher film right um, and uh, so yeah I I, I I found that really really awesome to see in this movie like just how how directly it references it Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sydney Prescott but she insisted to that she wanted to play Casey because she said that it would make the audience think anything could happen happen and actually uh, having such a prominent actress she was the most prominent name in the movie at the time yeah um and having her die 12 minutes into the movie kind of becomes an homage to psycho 
where we had uh, the main character die, albeit halfway through the movie, but, you know, everyone expected Janet Lee, you know, in the movie, she's going to be the star, but she ends up dying. So it's kind of like an homage to that, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, also because, like, Drew Barrymore is wearing, like, a blonde wig, kind of like a reference to Janet Lee being a blonde also. Oh, that's perfect. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking, I'm really liking the ties between this movie and Halloween and Psycho. Mm-hmm. Like, I think... Yeah, it's 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 a it's and a fa- it's, Elm Street. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fascinating heritage uh, to sort of see born out in this one. All right, so you missed that one, but we're still early. There's still a lot of questions to go. Yeah, it's a one for two, right? One for two. Here we go. Here comes question number three. Ooh, what is the ghost face costume sold as in stores? Uh, it is. Oh, what's the name? Oh, Father Spooky something. No, it was like Father Father Halloween. No, Father Death. Father Death. Okay. Father Death. Dagnubit. He Ghostface kind of looks like a cross between um, Munch's The Scream and The Grim Reaper. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Actually, now that you mention that, um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, and and because I, 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 I know that like the scream definitely sort of popularized that like that particular shape of the right. ghost face, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure whether like I was actually not sure whether like that particular design was designed for this movie or whether it was actually just a a sort of regular rote cheap no um from from the story is that Wes craven encountered a similar looking mask but it wasn't exactly like this mask and he brought it to the production team and then because they you know they didn't have the rights to it outright they had the production or the costume department design a mask that was similar but uh, but different enough to where it was like their own thing. So it was definitely a design that was created for this movie. Nice, that's cool. Uh, in fact, uh, um, during production, Ghostface's um, black robe was originally going to be white because they thought it would give him more ghostly appearance. Oh. But this was changed because they realized that if it had been white, uh, people would probably compare it to like a Ku Klux Klan robe because it would have like a little similar look to yeah, it. Yeah, that's that's fair. Also, I think like, you know, you I, I think having a darker outfit overall is is it definitely works. More more practical for more practical for hiding and whatnot. Too, yeah, and whatnot. It works. Know. And also the contrast with like the white face. I think yeah, definitely works great. All right, here comes question number four. Number four. This is proving to be kind of a tough quiz yeah, for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling too good about this. <laughs> you were having so much fun, you just like missing all the yeah, details. you know, just just lost it. Lost it all. All right, so uh, we have Courtney Cox in this movie. We also have watched another Courtney Cox film in this show. We watched Masters of the Universe, which was her first film. Uh, big budget film appearance yeah uh, she plays gail weathers on this movie fresh on the heels of her appearing in the successful sitcom friends um the question is what is the name of gail weathers show man oh god oh no it's uh it's on the back of uh kenny's the, the cameraman's jacket and oh they do my. mention it a couple of times oh, no oh, i missed that i completely missed that 
Um, Gail Weathers. Um. Hmm. I'm gonna say. Uh, this is just this is just a, this is just a a stab in the dark, uh-huh. as it were. Uh, I'm just gonna say uh, on the scene with Gale. It, it is something pretty road like that, but it's not on the scene. It's actually top story, top story with Gale Weathers. Top story with Gale Weathers. Damn it! Yeah, yeah. This 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 uh, look. <laughs> this is not you, your best you know finest what it is? moment. It, you know what? Look, Scream subverts a lot of expectations, mm-hmm. and so too does this quiz. <laughs> uh, I keep thinking it's gonna be one thing, and it's well, I just keep not knowing a lot of it. Really. Was um, what's, what's interesting about Courtney Cox's performance in this, like it, her role, Monica and Friends, is known for being like a really nice person. And so the reason why she pursued this role and, and accepted it was because she wanted to subvert that expectation in audiences too. She wanted to play a bitchy character, quote unquote. And she does have a lot of fun in, in the role. She's, I think she's really great in it. And uh, she's become sort of like a fan favorite in the series as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and, and I appreciate that like her character actually, you know, is is certainly not a particularly nice person mm-hmm. and and certainly she is obviously very ambitious and all of that stuff um uh and 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 is is awful to other people in pursuit of her ambitious goals which mm-hmm. is obviously the real problem right um but at the same time um I really liked that her character, though, actually also is kind of like the one person who is like pursuing the yeah. the truth about the the murder of right. uh, Sydney's mother, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I really like that that she she also does kind of have that little nugget of like, well, no, she actually does want to like figure out what's going on. Yeah, and, and um, she ends up and she starts out from like a side of like being an antagonist, but she ends up I think like being like really friendly. I yeah, mean, yeah, definitely being a, a considerable ally by the mm-hmm. end of the film. So, uh, so yeah, I really found that cool. Uh, and, uh, of course, Gail and Dewey, um, they sort of have a, uh, a little romance real there. romance happening, which kind of mirrors their real life because Courtney Cox and David Arquette ended up getting married. And, oh, uh, didn't realize yeah. that. Well, good for them. That's cute. Yeah, they had they had a lot of fun chemistry. Did they meet on this set? Or? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, they, they, they got married uh, after this movie and uh, they divorced shortly before they filmed the fourth scream Aww. but they were still friends and they were still they were still in the fourth scream they're still good sports that's good good for them uh so okay so one out of four so far yeah let's see is... if we get question number five uh, yeah this quiz is disemboweling me this is what I thought would be the hardest question, but now when I realize it, you might actually get this one. I don't know. We'll see. I don't see. know. I don't, I don't wanna I don't wanna like put expectations. Uh, we'll see. According to Randy, what are the rules you must abide in order to survive a horror movie? Oh, oh. Um so first rule is do not have sex. You can never have sex. You can never have sex. Um, second rule is you can never drink or do drugs. Correct. And uh, you can never leave and say, I'll be right back. Correct. 
That is correct. Thank God. Those are the three rules that he Woo! gives. Thank goodness. Thank now, goodness. Now, there are a few like other rules that were kind of tossed on top of that. He doesn't say it in that scene specifically, but when you go back to his video store scene, he does say that an additional rule is everyone is a suspect, right? Yeah, and then there in the movie, there are two additional rules that come from the killer himself or themselves. Um, rule number five is you will not survive if you ask who's there. And rule number six is you will not survive if you go out to investigate a strange noise. Yeah. But the three rules that Randy gives are the ones that you gave. So you got that one uh, completely. And uh, you got two out of five. So you probably need a little bonus help to get these, I, these I, uh, bragging rights. Here. Yeah. If, yeah. If we want to get if we want to get a three out of five, then, yeah, that bonus is going to have to. I have two save. bonus questions for you. OK. OK. This helps. This helps okay. a little bit. We'll see how it so goes. You just got to get one of these bonus questions. Here comes question number one. All right. Of course, the bonus, as always, strays a little bit from the world of the film proper. Nice. Uh, Gus Black sings a cover of which song, which is uh, featured, the original version, is featured in Halloween? Ooh. Mm. At around 14 minutes, this song plays. Oh. Mm. Oh. Oh. Um... School's out for summer? No. No. Oh, that one's a little later. No. It is earlier when we get uh, Billy and uh, Sydney. They're kind of romancing and schmoozing, and it's a really stripped-down acoustic version of Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, which is featured in Halloween as well. Oh, yeah. I I heard Don't Fear the Reaper in that song, mm-hmm. but I but it sounded like he was singing different lyrics, or I, I was trying to listen for the lyrics, and it sounded like it was a little different, but I don't know if that's just because it was a slower yeah, version Yeah, it was a slower, it, so. like, more romantic version of it. Wow. Uh, in the scene in Halloween, it's playing in the car when Lori and Annie are on the way to babysit, and this kind of brings me back to the fi- to the last question a little bit, because in that scene in the car, Lori and Annie are seen smoking a joint. Yeah. Which kind of goes against rule number two because Lori survives the movie even though she clearly mm-hmm. does drugs. Yeah, well, well, and also though I think that a big part of of the way uh, the way uh, Randy was mm-hmm. laying out the rules is that he was specifically saying that like it it. It seemed like he was explaining it in the sense that, like, the more of these rules that you violate, the higher your chances of being killed will be, right. and stuff like that. Like he's saying, it's it's all about the amount of sin that you that you do. Mm-hmm. It's about the sin. So he's like, uh, so so uh, yeah. In in terms of the quote unquote, you know, how high your sin meter is, uh, certainly. Uh, Lori's the the oh, least yeah, she's the low. least of 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 the of the company of babysitters. Yeah, because mm-hmm. pot ain't no thing, right, kids? No, um. it, was, it wasn't then, <laughs> and it wasn't now. But don't do drugs. All right, so you need this another bonus. You did not get that one. Here comes mm-hmm. the final, your final chance for <sighs> bragging rights oh, on man. this episode. Ugh, I keep dying and then coming back, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Rose McGowan, uh, who plays Tatum in this movie. And Neff Campbell both ironically played witches in uh, other films and properties. Uh, of course, we know that Neff Campbell played a witch in The Craft, which we both watched and enjoyed on this podcast. The question is, what TV show did Rose McGowan 
play a witch in? 90s TV show. Hmm. Well, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, it, clearly not Buffy. Clearly not Buffy. So I'm gonna say the only other 90s witch TV show that I can think of, which is Charmed. That is correct! Oh, thank goodness! Oh! You got it! Oh! oh, oh it by the charmed. skin of my teeth! By the skin of my teeth! Congratulations, get... you got bragging rights. Ugh, Some bragging rights. I, I, I will be restrained in the amount of bragging I will do. <laughs> you fought hard for that, though. I did. I appreciate it. I struggled. <laughs> I, I, I am up there with the best of those uh, horror heroines, for sure. There's a scene in this movie where Stu says, look around, it's like Christmas, and the movie was actually released in December five days before Christmas. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the studio did this because like a little bit of counter-programming. Oftentimes, they'll release a horror film in the holiday season because there's a lot of family-friendly fare out there, so they're like, oh, let's throw in a horror movie to get the, those who are sick and tired of the holidays. Yeah, enough of that shit. And when this movie came out, it uh, it opened up a number four. It grossed only $6.4 million, and the studio was ready to write it off and say this movie's a flop but the word of mouth was so good that every week at the box office it went up and up and up and it stayed or stayed at the same place and by the end of its run and ended up making over a hundred million dollars at the box office um, and this is despite competition with other big heavyweights that year, such as Jerry Maguire and uh, Mars Attacks, which is the Tim Burton film, which actually ended up flopping. Um, wow. This movie was uh, released in the same year as Independence Day and Mission Impossible and still became one of the highest grossing films of the year. Wow. Mission Impossible and Independence Day. That's, that's, a, that's a good year. Number six was a good year. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. So it held its own. Good for you. Indeed. Here, let's go into the first of our GSV segments. This one's called Shots, 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 Shots. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this movie. I mean, yeah. it's a slasher film, so there's going to be violence. Yeah, and this was pretty bloody. Yeah. Um, certainly in comparison to Halloween. Mm. Was, was it, though? Was it? I mean, more so, right? I would say. Maybe by a little bit. How many deaths in this movie? How well, long, how well, long we well got? not not in terms of body count per se, but in terms of blood. There's definitely a lot more blood. blood and gore. More gore for Absolutely. sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, What's the body count? Halloween had five, including two dogs, <laughs> or plus two dogs, right? No, uh, or something like that. It was six, including two dogs. There we go. There yeah, we go. that's what it was. Yeah. Um. Uh. This movie. Uh. Well, we have. Uh, Drew Barrymore in the beginning. Uh, we have Tatum. We have uh, the sheriff. We have uh, the deputy. I should say uh, the principal. The deputy doesn't die. Do oh, we? He, do we? They cart him away in the ambulance. He's not dead. He was oh, talking. thank goodness. Okay, well that's good. <laughs> we've got the principal. We've got Drew Barrymore. We've got oh uh, Drew Barrymore's boyfriend. Uh, we've got the principal. We've got uh, the two killers. We got uh, Eddie, the cameraman. Okay, I'm going to say seven in this film. Correct! There we go. Seven. Seven deaths. Indeed, indeed. All right, I'm going to give you the... So just one more. One more than Halloween. Yeah, one more. One more. Uh, Surprisingly restrained again. 
Yeah. But I think that, you know, I've, I feel like that, you know, if you're relying too much on death and shock value, then I think your movie is suffering in other spots. Well, yeah. Well, well and also because, again, I think like, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the magic of the slasher horror film in particular is about a fairly contained cast of mm-hmm. characters and and you know sort of disappearing one by right. one kind of a kind of a and then there were none right. type type deal yeah. like i think that's the that's that's sort of that's sort of what you're trying to go for with the slasher film sort of so so not necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be like super high body count mm-hmm. it just has to be more about like ooh who's who's going to die next right. and in what gratuitous way are they going to die I, in fact i'm going to give i'm going to go through uh, all the deaths in order of die uh, uh, in the order that they died and nope. I want you to tell me the the method of, of death. How did he die? Okay, great. Okay. So number one, we got Casey's boyfriend, Steve. Uh, he was disemboweled on the patio. Pretty gnarly, too. Yeah. Uh, then we got Casey. Stabbed, disemboweled, and hung in uh, front of her house. Poor yeah. parents. That's, right? that's, that's, uh, whew, that, you, don't, you don't want to come home to that. No, not at all. Oh, that, yeah, that, that was wrenching. Like, like I said, definitely, I think, yeah, that, that first 12 minutes is like the best, mm-hmm. is, is the best horror sequence yeah. of the whole film. It's really and, great. and I would say potentially maybe of all horror films that I've seen. Oh, really? You would go that well, far? The best horror sequence of all horror films that you've seen. Even like things like The Descent. Ooh, you know what? Yeah, no, descent. Yeah, descent was way more terrifying on every level. Yeah. So, uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna and, and Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, and Hellraiser. Yeah, okay. You know, good point. Good point. I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna qualify that with on this podcast. But yeah, no, even Hellraiser and Descent were definitely much more horrifying mm-hmm. films. So, uh, we'll, but we'll but with this that. is really good though. Really good. Yeah, no, definitely. Really um, good so we got those two. Next, we got Principal Hembry, who is played quite memorably by Henry Winkler. Oh, good God! <laughs> the yes, fine. I, I loved. I I loved his expelling those yeah. two students. Just the way he did it. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of great quips in this movie. Um, that was he, kind of foreshadowing too, because he he unmasks two masks. Kind of foreshadowing that they're going to be two killers at the end. Yeah, yeah, very true, mm-hmm. very true. Um, he gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in his office. In his office. Yeah. Uh, then we got uh, Tatum Riley, played by Ooh. Rose McGowan. Uh, she is uh, chased and is uh, ultimately, I guess, kind of gets her neck broken by uh, getting trapped in the garage door yeah. as it is rising. That was that was a tough one. That was a tough That's one. That's a really memorable death in this movie. Yeah, definitely really memorable death. Yeah. Ugh. And the way she, like, like you were saying, like, how um, Ghostface does take his hits, like, I loved how she was like throwing beer bottles at his face and the way they pop. Like, yeah, great, I think, yeah, you know? I think she like got him in the nuts with one, right, like, right, for sure. It was great, yeah. and, but then she ultimately, you know, succumbed to the yeah. doggy door in the garage. Yeah. All Tough right. One. Next, we got the cameraman who is not Eddie. His name is Kenny, but I still give you the Kenny? point. Kenny, damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny was was stabbed and left atop the news van. It wasn't exactly stabbed. His his neck was slashed. Oh, his neck was slashed. Okay, fair. Okay, good. Fair point. Fair point. But yes, he was placed on top of the news van. Yes, indeed. Then we got one of the our first killer who died is a Stu, who's yeah. played by Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Okay. Now Stu, if I remember correct, wait. 
Oh, does he get? No, he doesn't. He doesn't get shot. He just like he because he, he was he was like bleeding out because he got stabbed in the gut a yeah, lot. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he, he does was he pretty just, rough rough shape? Yeah, he was in really rough shape. Then I think he dies pretty memorably, though. I think. Oh fuck! I forget. Uh, yeah, okay, I forget. I forget. How does Stu ultimately go? So he chases Sydney into the living room where yes. Halloween is playing. They topple oh, over. Yes! You want to take it? Yeah, okay, I remember now. Okay. You, you, you can take it because okay. I came up. Yeah. All right, so they tumble over the sofa and Stu is strangling Sydney and he says, I've always had a thing for you. Then Sydney gets free, knocks him out. And says in your dreams as he dro- as she drops an old school CRT television on his face and his whole body gets electrocuted. Yes, yes, uh, very reminiscent of uh, of uh, an- another uh, death in one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, the way Dan Aykroyd, uh, his character, gets killed in the movie Gross Point Blank. Yeah, um, yeah, killed, killed. Killed by television set to the face, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, I, I particularly loved that uh, Halloween was still on right. as it crashes onto yeah. his head too. I Very think again, appropriate. just just really really milking the symbolism and the imagery for all it's worth. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then finally, we got the main orchestrator of the two villains, Billy Loomis. Yes, he got stabbed a fair bit, both by his co-conspirator and by Sidney, uh, is then shot by Courtney Cox, mm-hmm. and the final killing shot to the head by Nev Campbell. Yep. Uh, so Billy Loomis, that's even an homage, too, because as we you know watched in Halloween, uh, the psychiatrist's name is... Loomis, Doctor yes. Loomis. Oh my God! Yes, so, Ugh. that's also missing an these there. things. Ugh. Uh, the 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 two most complex visual effects in the film were in fact the first two deaths, the corpses of Casey and Steve. Um, so their deaths involved being gutted, right? Yeah. So to allow Wallace to continue to move and feign death while displaying the wound, what they did was they designed a chair with no back, so the actor was behind it kneeling while his upper body were positioned within the chair's seating area, and then they had a, an anatomically correct model representing the character's torsos right in front in the chair, disguised as his upper body, and uh, all the guts spilled out. Um, yeah. So it was an old-school trick, I think. Like That seems like a very theatrical trick, but it was yeah. very, very... Um, well employed. Very well employed. Yeah. And then for Casey, obviously, since she was hanging, they couldn't actually use her... Uh, so they replicated her entire body for that one shot because it would be impossible to conceal her behind the body. Yeah. Um, very also well employed. Um, the, I think that the, the me- one of the most memorable things about this movie and the character of Ghostface, our killer, um, apart from his look, um, because something that's very interesting is like, you know, it's always someone different. Because this movie, all, apart from being a horror film and a slasher film, it does have like an element of a, the who done it. Like there's that mystery. Yeah, which which I liked mm-hmm. actually, because um, because who done it's are also great, right? And uh, so um, it, it it actually was great mm-hmm. to to kind of have that running through the film mm-hmm. as well of just trying to figure out who the killer is. And even um, though even though Ghostface is the killer, yeah, in every movie there's always someone else beneath the mask or yeah. behind the mask. And but the other um iconic thing about Ghostface is the voice on the phone. 
is yeah. played by Roger Jackson. Cool. Very memorably. Um, and in fact, like when whenever he was cast to be in this movie, uh, Drew Barrymore nor Nev Campbell did not meet Jackson. None of the actors actually met Jackson before shooting commence. Whenever they're talking on the phone to the killer, they're actually talking to him for the first time. Oh. Uh, in fact, Craven gave him, Roger Jackson, a simple cell phone to call the phone that's being used on set. And all the calls were done right on set, like just out of the out of the character's point of view. And the calls were of such a nature, obviously, as we watched in the movie, that local police showed up and contacted the crew demanding to knew, know who they were because they thought it was a real killer making these phone calls from a cell phone. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is, that's nuts. Yeah. Um, also, good PR, I would imagine, like, right. for for, uh, for the interviews afterwards. Like, oh, yeah, no, we have police thinking that there was a real killer calling our sets or something. Um, Roger, Roger Jackson initially was supposed to be just a placeholder also. They were going to... Have him um, do the voice on set, but then they were going to overdub him with someone that had a creepier voice. But then Wes Craven ended up really liking his performance. And I I really dig it, too, because it doesn't sound like a monster voice. Well, yeah. Well, and 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 that actually, I think, kind of speaks to what I found really interesting about Ghostface. Um as a as a horror entity because um i think that he definitely contrasts from mike michael myers in halloween in terms of his like physical presence like he's he's obviously not particularly large or physically imposing um and uh he he takes quite a few blows through the movie yeah. like kind of i mean in addition to the deaths there's actually just a fair amount of violence that's just like the people fleeing him right. like he he takes quite a few pretty intense pratfalls like right. throughout the movie which which i think kind of you know a little bit adds to its comedic sensibility in a way but also at the same time um it it makes him a, a bit of a it makes him a more humanized uh, killer, even though mm-hmm. he is, again, hidden behind this mask and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, yeah, there's something about him that feels very human. And, and especially in the way that, like, you know, whereas, like, Mike Michael Myers, like, is, is like, moving very slowly and deliberately. Right. Whereas, like, in this movie, he's doing a lot of, uh, he's doing a lot of, like, fast movement, mm-hmm. really just, like, booking it, yeah. like, left and right. So And with so, the robe, it, like, looks like he almost, like, he flying through the scene a little, <laughs> a little bit. bit yeah um so so yeah it, it was it was interesting that like it it makes it very clear that he is he is not supernatural like mm-hmm. certainly he you know there's there's a fair bit of omnipresence in mm-hmm. terms of like how he you know sets up the ways he's intimidating his victims um and and a big part of that is due to the fact that it's actually two people but at the same time, there's something that still is very innately human about him, mm-hmm. which which I liked. Um, yeah, I feel like it's uh, it's almost like the Scooby Doo thing because I feel like the 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 character because of his omnipresence and because of his ability to withstand pain and his stamina at when he's ghost face. You know, he does have to me, he does have a somewhat of a supernatural air to him, but then. 
we realize that it's two people who were him the whole time. And so you're like, oh, well, then that makes sense. It's almost like, you know, when you unmask him and then you look back, he's like, oh, yeah, actually, it makes sense why he would be at two places in the house at the same time and how he can withstand all these, you know, pratfalling and stuff because it's actually, you know, the strength of two men playing him (laughs) pretty much. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, and and I have to say, like, I actually really, really liked everything that followed the reveal of who he was, mm-hmm. of of who did, the killer was. Were you was. caught by surprise, or did you you didn't know that who it was going to be before the movie, right? I, I, I feel like because because I caught like snippets of the movie here and there prior to seeing it in its entirety mm-hmm. here, um, but I. So so I, I feel like I had a vague notion of, like, remembering that there was suspicion on Sydney's boyfriend, mm-hmm. and, and then I forgot whether it, like, doubles back to actually being him or not. Mm-hmm. And so when he got stabbed after they had sex, I thought that, like, he was that. It was like, oh, okay. He's so, exonerated. like, he, it's definitely yeah. not him, because they were setting it up to be right. him right before they do that so i was like oh shit well that really faked me out and so then for it to actually still be him because it was actually two people um that that i i kind of didn't see coming and Mm -hmm. the thing is like i i recently saw the end of scream 2 Mm -hmm. and i saw that it was two people in that Mm -hmm. so i kind of had that in the back of my mind but i didn't expect that to also be the case for this it's always there's only like one movie where it's one person but other than that it's always two people interesting well i i like that though and and again i think i think that's actually kind of uh uh Again, uh, just sort of like a brilliant touch to the horror, to to the that kind of like you know that that issue of like the supernatural nature right. of the of the killer in all these other movies because like they are really omnipresent mm-hmm. in in most slasher films and and many times do set up these like elaborate traps right and so I think that it's really I I think that that's a really great smart move to have it be two people also because like. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into the question of like motivation and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think there's actually something kind of cool about the idea that it's like, well, okay, whatever their motivation is, the fact that there's coordination going Mm -hmm. on between the killers in order to make all this horror happen Mm -hmm. is, is, is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, mo- and, and, and a really great subversion. Most yeah. of the killings actually were like motivated by Billy. I would say that Billy is like definitely like the I guess like the brains of the two. Um, and 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 it all become it's all because of Maureen Prescott, as we talked about. The only two deaths that were motivated by Stu were in fact Casey and Steve at the beginning, because Stu was jealous that Casey left him for Steve. Yeah. Uh, and other than that, like the rest of the movie is pretty much Billy's show and Stu is just like the supporting cast. Now Skeet Ulrich was cast as Billy Loomis be- partly because he has a slight resemblance to Johnny Depp, especially the way that Johnny Depp looked uh, when he filmed Nightmare on Elm Street, which Wes Craven also uh, filmed in 1984. Oh, nice. um, but even though he is the main antagonist, I would say uh, I think a lot of people would agree with me that Matthew Lillard, who played Stu, kind of steals the movie. He's kind of like that. Other than Roger Jackson, the voice of Ghostface, that's kind of like the breakthrough role of the movie is, is Stu. Yeah, well, definitely, and especially because I I like that Stu kind of um, 
Stu Stu definitely plays up his sort of comedic presence yeah. in the movie in a way that does sort of take him a little bit out of the running for like the consideration of who actually done it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, of course, it was always a little bit in the back of my mind that it could have been him by uh, by virtue of the fact that it's like, well, okay, he's being all comedic and stuff, so maybe they're gonna they're gonna do a twist of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the extent to which which they kind of show how sort of like, you know, unstable he actually is, uh, how, how unstable the both of them are right. um, when they kind of eventually do get to that reveal um, definitely was was really cool. And 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 sort of how unstable they were, but also like how invested they were and just like watching the movies and playing by the rules and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So. I know. Even though I would, I would say that even Matthew Lillard is like the standout performance, or one of the standout performances in the cast. Um, but critics have been divided over whether he is over the top or not as as a performer. What did you feel about that? Um, I I li- I liked it. I I honestly really liked it. Um, because I think that I think that. I, I really liked him being as over the top as he was, especially during the reveal sequence, because um, it, you know, you have to, well, once you have the reveal, you still need, if if you want to maintain any sort of a horror tension, mm-hmm. um, you need that sort of sense of like unpredictability. Mm. And, and, and I, th- and there was definitely something unsettling about just sort of like how amped up he was. And especially like after they sort of take turns stabbing each other mm-hmm. to like set up their, you know, how they'll get away with it. Um, yeah. It, like that whole sequence definitely came off as very unsettling, but, but uh, in a way that I thought kind of that, that I thought really worked. Um, and, and again, especially, because this whole movie is kind of trading in both horror in both horror aesthetic and a little bit comedic aesthetic and so i think that for him to kind of take his own comedic vibe to that extreme really kind of helps to sort of meld those two sensibilities together when we get to that final sequence so um ultimately i think it works Mm -hmm. now matthew lillard actually didn't intend to audition for this movie in the first place he was just accompanying his girlfriend who was auditioning and then the casting director saw him in the waiting room and ended up recommending him oh dang yeah wow so quite a great story there. Um, the the party scene, which I think is like the whole third act, takes it's a pretty big bulk of the movie. It runs for 42 minutes, which yeah. is like almost half the movie. Um, it was shot over the course of 21 days from the time the sun set to the time it rose. Um, after it wrapped, the crew had T-shirts made that read, I survived scene 118, which was the <laughs> name of the scene during the shooting. The crew jokingly called it the longest night in horror history. <laughs> um, that's something that is not replicated, I feel like, in in the other ones where you have like this like extended location uh, shoot, but uh, I, I really like that about this movie, too. It, I mean, it, it, is, it, it, it's, it is pretty meta and heady, but... It's really simple in its execution for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, and especially again because I think um, I think like you know a, a big raucous house party scene is in many ways more a staple of 
more a staple of like teen comedies right. yeah. than than of horror yeah. films. Um, so I actually really what uh, whereas like the hijinks of teenagers is obviously you know part and parcel with horror and mm-hmm. with slasher movies. So um, yeah, I really liked that they did kind of invest to like having a lot of the movie take place there because of like again just kind of the intermingling of those two different genres Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i thought it worked really well and uh yeah good good for them for making it through right yeah they (laughs) survived um the film was originally gonna get an nc-17 rating they had to tone down some of the gore but still the mpaa wouldn't play along and would not give them the R rating. Finally, Bob Weinstein had to, not Harvey Weinstein, his brother, Bob Weinstein had to step in uh, and finally got the MPA to change it to an R rating. And when Wes Craven asked him what he said to get them to change, Bob Weinstein told them to, instead of seeing it as a horror film, to look at it as a comedy. And then they relented and changed it to an R rating. <laughs> I <sighs> fuck the MPAA. That's our moving that's our, on. Yeah. Moving on. Like we we don't love the MPAA in this. No, on this we show. don't. Like fuck them. Um, Let's go into the next GSV segment. This one's called Boob Tube. We're talking about the gratuitous sex and nudity in this yeah, film. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Surprisingly, bit. though, pretty pretty overall chase movie we don't see any real nudity even like the shots from halloween they censored yeah so yeah, yeah. um but but certainly they refer to it they quite do a bit. refer to um, it and we do get a sex scene yeah but again it's pretty chastely done pretty yeah. tasteful overall yeah definitely um yeah uh, uh that said uh i do kind of appreciate I, I appreciate the movie's approach to sex as a whole. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely talked a little bit about, like, you know, the 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 titillation problem and, and sort of how much, like, the kind of, you know, the sort of exploitation of, you know, young, conventionally attractive women in horror films mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, having them be naked and then slaughtered and all that stuff. Um, so, so I actually really liked that this movie, you know, that it's plot centered, uh, considerably around, um, you know, uh, Stu and, uh, Sydney, uh, Billy and Sydney. Oh, sorry, Billy and Sydney, I should say, um, working out, you know, you know, working through their, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, the issue of sex and right. their relationship. Right. Um, certainly I, 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 I had a few choice comments when Billy was really pushing her in spite of the fact that she was clearly setting, you know, she, she was clearly working through like, you know, not trivial trauma. trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, so, so I do definitely think that he was, predominantly in the wrong and i mean it turns out that he's a he's a psychopath and and it turns out he's a psychopath too so definitely not down with him getting any at all Mm -hmm. um but uh he ends up getting actually yeah so fuck (laughs) that unfortunately um but uh but yeah no i thought that the movie's whole approach to that was was uh pretty great overall and um and yeah, like the fact that they do a good job of like commenting on it and uh, and all of that, but without ever without it letting it drift into the realm of feeling exploited. Right, it really doesn't. Uh, but and and we talked about how like the Sydney's character 
um, is pretty well thought out and uh, scripted. Uh, and also Gail's character is pretty well scripted. Do you Did you feel like any of the female characters was kind of shafted um, story-wise? Or do you feel like they all were pretty well realized. Like, what did you think about uh, Tatum, for example? Yeah, I was going to say, I think I think maybe Tatum's character ha- felt felt the least fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, y- I guess really no but about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she kind of felt... Yeah, there, there just didn't feel like there was that much to her that mm-hmm. I saw. Um, certainly, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, a, a good a good friend to right sydney um but uh yeah not not too much to speak of beyond that um yeah i don't know what did you think about uh casey's character i mean obviously like it's the prologue so we don't get a lot with her yeah uh i i mean yeah i thought drew barrymore's performance in that sequence was really good um i i think especially just kind of you know, her being in that position of, you know, being the first kill of the film. And so they do they do a lot of really good, like kind of playing around with like her sort of playing into that archetype a little bit. Um, and especially kind of how she, you know, when she first gets the call, she, you know, is is a little bit flirtatious mm-hmm. with it. But then ultimately how she you know, very gradually, as it's clear that it's escalating and is becoming an unsafe situation, how much deeper into terror she gets. Yeah. Um, and uh, and 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 yeah. So I think that in in her case, there there is a lot of great sort of establishment of character. You know, even without necessarily like explicitly giving us exposition, mm. but like it it does a really good job of like feeling three dimensional, even though she basically is only there for the function of right. being the first kill of the movie and and sort of playing to that archetype um but i think it's just like it's so smartly written in terms yeah. of how the tension is ratcheting up and how she's dealing with the tension ratcheting up mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that's yeah i think yeah casey's yeah casey is is i think more fleshed out than tatum's character right. is ultimately yeah, kind and, of in a way um, yeah uh, so, so yeah, I, I thought that that whole sequence was good. And again, Drew Barrymore's performance in that sequence was, was fucking spot on. To keep Drew Barrymore looking scared and crying during that sequence, director Wes Craven, uh, she, he exploited the fact that she is a keen animal lover in real life and kept telling her real life stories about animal cruelty. Really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I hope with her consent or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if that was like a conversation between the two of them. Like, <laughs> ah. But uh, but yeah, she definitely looked terrified in that opening. Yeah, maybe not the worst instance of like you know enforced method acting by a director. <laughs> but um, we've talked about worse on this. Yeah, on this. there there have been many wor- many more egregious examples to be sure. Uh, let's use that to kind of get into our last GSV segment, which is uh, that's problematic. problematic. What do we what do we feel is problematic in this movie? Um, well, for one thing, this is like. Not just a pretty white film, but an entirely white entirely film. Entirely white like, film. They do try they do try to rectify that in the sequels, somewhat. But this movie does not do a good job of yeah. being diverse yeah. at all. Yeah, for, for yeah, for being a town in California. Yeah. Like uh, I mean, you know, y- 
yes, yes, there are some, like, more affluent towns and communities that are predominantly white, but, like, entirely white. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I don't know. I, I didn't fully buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do think it, it's, it's interesting that, like, with the, with the absence of any, uh, you know, uh, any persons of color in this film means that they do also kind of, you know, skirt any sort of commentary on on like racial politics mm. in horror films, because obviously there is that, you know, that sort of trope of like minority characters being the first right. to die in right. films. Um, so, uh, you know, it just it's it, it you know, it's, it's a little unfortunate that, you know, their 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 method of sidestepping that conversation as a whole is to just not have it. Yeah. Is to just not have it all together. Um, so, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, that is a little. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was also, I feel like uh, and one instance of fat shaming that that I picked up, which I know that it's because Gail is kind of like a bitchy character. But I thought I thought that that because like Gail and, and Kenny. Also, he's not that he. He's not well, that big. Well, that's true. But let's not even and, go there. Like well, I feel like true, yeah. what I was gonna say was like Gail and Kenny's relationship doesn't seem that it's kind of set up to be like oh well this is a uh, kind of like a you know a, a bad relation like obviously like he hates her but it doesn't seem to be that you know they seem to be pretty kindred spirits like you both like are yeah. scheming to get the scoop and yeah, stuff yeah so it kind of like so, comes across as in bad taste to me that yeah, she just goes there you know I agree with that I definitely yeah. agree with that um. Yeah, I think like those those two points aside, um, I'm I'm struggling to think of that many more like really problematic things yeah. about it. Like, I feel like yeah, I feel like all the female characters for the most part are pretty strong and well realized, and uh, they're not exploited as we talked about. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah I feel I feel like overall it, the movie does a really good job of yeah, uh, and yeah, one well, and even like I think that. You know, th- we we did have a bit of that conversation about like you know damaging portrayals of mental illness um, in horror, and you know I think there may be a little bit of a case to be made mm-hmm. that like you know the our our two killers are certainly not stable individuals, right? Um, but again, they're I they're never think diagnosed that, as such. But but yeah, that's the thing is like there's there's no there's no actual trying to let diagnosis factor into it right and also <clears throat> again it's it's very clear that like their motivations are so heavily rooted in the tropes of horror yeah and and so so yeah i really kind of like that and especially because i think like throughout horror like you know the the killer is this kind of chaotic force who doesn't have of motivation nature, a lot of who, times. yeah who doesn't have motivation and and you know in a way i you know halloween is kind of like the the quintessential example of mm-hmm. that like there's you know we talked a bit about like whether there might be motivation mm-hmm. but like there's there's nothing you can really point to in the movie yeah uh, explicitly mm-hmm. and and so i i liked that this movie you know kind of goes further with that in terms of saying that it's like the their 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 motivation is is the fact that they are characters in a horror film yeah. and that therefore they are they are just bringing those those tried and true rules to bear but um, there's so. there's actual real real world motivation also like you know yeah. the, the death of maureen prescott like billy says was motivated because she was sleeping around with his dad and that's what caused his mom to leave them that is that is true yeah that is true that he does he does bring that up um and in, in terms of maureen prescott's death specifically mm-hmm. um 
Yeah. And, then, and again, that's kind of like the the first piece of the puzzle that's kind of like sets like the whole franchise up. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested to see more of the franchise now that I now that I've got this first mm-hmm. run. And and clearly the fact that the franchise keeps going back to that first death. Right. Um. So I'm I'm very intrigued by that detail. A um, couple of things about this film as we start wrapping up here. Uh, f- first, like I feel like a lot of like these successful horror movies, like they they kind of like influence the culture at large. I guess that's why they call it pop culture. Um, but like for example, uh, after Jaws came out, people were afraid to go to the beach. After Psycho, people were afraid to take a shower. After Halloween, people were, you know, looking into their closets and stuff. <laughs> um, this movie, what it set off, like, after this film, the use of caller ID increased more than threefold. Ooh, that's yeah. an interesting one. <laughs> that's, that's, that's wise. Caller ID is a good thing. It's a very good thing, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was kind of like how these films, like, again, like, this movie... Uh, references a lot of movies and uh, it also it, it ended up being a part of the slasher film landscape so it actually you know becomes absorbed and referenced later on uh, as we mentioned uh, earlier the uh, or in the actually the episode of, of Halloween uh, the boyfriend in Psycho his name was Samuel Loomis and then we got Samuel Loomis the doctor in Halloween then we got Billy Loomis in this movie now in this movie the teens are watching Halloween uh, and then in Halloween H2O which came out in 1998 a couple years after this film the teens are watching Scream 2 Oh my god! So it makes so the dark. the self acknowledging showing of uh, in, with of the Halloween franchise and the movies that were based off of the murders and in the Scream franchise, um, and in the Scream franchise there's the stab films which are the also like a film within a film that's kind of like referencing the murders of the of the universe. So there's a lot of self reference. I feel like that this movie kind of like. <laughs> does and I like it? Mm-hmm. I like I like the the containment of the scream cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's great, and I'd like more of it. Yeah. All right, so we're wrapping up our discussion here on this episode. Final thoughts: Scream. What do you think? Is it a bad movie? Is it a so-so movie? A good movie? A great movie? What do you land? I land on great. Um, I think that um, you know, I, I, you know, my my tastes in film tend towards the tend towards the the meta referential and whatnot. And um, I, I really like a movie that sort of brings you know that brings the ideas of multiple generations of films to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, those those kinds of movies really, really fascinate me, and I think that this movie is a particularly really well-crafted mm-hmm. example of that. Um, I really enjoy the cross-pollination of genre. Um, I think it's got really great, sharp writing, mm-hmm. uh, really, you know, smartly well-fleshed-out characters, um, a great whodunit story um, that kind of keeps you on the edge of yeah. your seat and trying to figure it out. Um, this movie is fantastic. I think it is just so excellent. Uh, it's a great start to the franchise, so I'm definitely going to try to seek out the remaining Scream films to watch on my own time mm-hmm. and see where it goes from here. Um, this movie is excellent. 
uh, pretty much everything I could have hoped the film would be based on what I heard about it. Good. And uh, yeah, just just kicked major ass. Uh, I'm going to say that this movie is good verging on great with a caveat. Fair. Okay. And and the reason why I say that is because it, objectively, yes, it's a great movie because it was the first of the franchise, but my favorite one is still Scream 2, so I'm going to give enough room to Scream 2 to sneak into the great category. Okay. You, 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 see, you, yeah, having seen Scream 2, you see the potential that right. this film has right. yet to realize. Right. Yeah. So, and that's, that's for fair. me, that's, an, that's the subjective viewpoint. I know there are a lot of people who still think that this is the best of the franchise, but yeah. I personally dig Scream 2 more. Nice. And so I would give this a good verging on great only because I feel like Scream 2 is pushed, is that one that's in the great nice. category. But it's a great, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. I, I really love it. And uh, I, I, it's a tradition for me to like watch it every year for Halloween. So it's a good tradition. Yeah. I think I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna adopt a similar <laughs> tradition for myself. Um, certainly I think I would work this into my rotation, whatever that tradition ultimately ends up being. So we've come to the end of another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. Thank you for watching Scream with me, Ned. A genuine scream and pleasure. Uh, we hope that you guys out there join us again soon where we're going to watch another schlocky masterpiece and uh, analyze it to death. Mm-hmm. Until then, take off that mask. Go watch some movies. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just. I hope we're gonna have some gratuitous sex and